Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. My co-hosts, as usual, my twin brother Josh Motenko. That's right. Back again. And Mike Minkoff. Gentlemen, I'm going to be diving for loose balls like Marcus Smart. I might roll up on some ankles. It won't be dirty. Just, just yeah. pure hustle and heartbeat. What it, don't, don't hurt me. Don't what was, me. what was Steve Kerr saying to him? He was like, if you're reading lips, he was uh, like, who knows? "Don't call him. I, call him." I, <laughs> no, he said. I you was heard just him. offended by the fact. I was just offended by the fact that an NBA coach was yelling at uh, a gritty player for playing hard. Uh, it was completely not dirty, and that's all I'm going to say about that. It was ridiculous. Completely agree. All right. Well, listen, yeah, well, we're recording this. He wouldn't have said anything if Smart was on his team, right? He's got a Marcus Smart on his team who does the same kinds of things in Draymond Green. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The irony is uh, levels deep. We are recording this Monday night. It's halftime of the Celtics-Oklahoma City game. The Celtics are up by 14. But they're coming off three wins against Golden State, Sacramento, and Denver all on the road. Uh, Mike, you said in our preparation there were completely agree we're going to talk a little bit about that we're going to get mike's reactions to the podcast that josh and i did uh last week uh because he's got some some uh responses i guess i guess mike you didn't love everything we said we're going to talk about how good the celtics are right now and then we're going to have a little bit of a gush fest over jason tatum so initially let's four games on the road i'm you know i'm hoping they hold on to this oklahoma city game if they do that's four wins not what I would have expected. This Oklahoma City game is a little bit of a trap game. Second night of a back-to-back. You've got Marcus Smart and uh, Rob Williams out. And some guy named Terrence Mann. Uh, Trey Mann? Trey Mann. I don't... Trey Mann. The Terrence Mann's, Mann's the, the guy on the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. Seven for seven from three already. 26 points in the first half. Uh, so I'm guessing that he doesn't continue that that hot streak. An outright Jason Tatum-like performance. Yeah, <laughs> that Golden State game, even without uh, uh, Steph Curry for the second half, I, our defense was swarming, and we really put the clamps down on them. Uh, I think it was in the third sec- third quarter, second quarter. Got up to a huge lead. That Sacramento game, I mean, they just can't compete with us. And then, I mean, do we give all of the credit to Grant Williams, a.k.a. Batman, for shutting down the Joker? I think there's some... some uh, credit to go around there with Tatum as well on this hot streak. Yeah, there there's I mean what we we have a, a whole segment coming up that'll be dedicated to just how good this team has been. This road trip has been just pure chef's kiss. Um it, you know, what what's not to like? It's just this team has been unbelievable of late. The the last 3 games I think have shown an an underrated factor which is that Horford is like becoming elite at the little touch pass lob up to Rob Williams. So anytime anyone comes off of a ball screen and you can't find the lob from that position, you, you know, smart's been just kicking it right to Horford who throws it right up to Rob to get a better, better angle on that lob pass. I feel like that's elite. There was one against golden state. No, sorry. Against Sacramento um, where Horford caught it on the jump and without landing threw it up to Rob. Uh, so it was an alley-oop to an alley-oop, basically. So I, that's kind of an underrated skill, I think, that people aren't really talking about. One of many with this team right now. Do Denver and Golden State count as good teams that we're beating? Yeah. Yes. Golden State specifically, yeah. 
I mean, Jokic looked flustered, you know, like pretty much yeah. from the beginning of the game. We were yeah, and this is head. the second. He, he looked outmatched. This is the second game that Grant Williams has pretty much um, contained Jokic. I want to be careful in my word choice there, but yeah. this is this is not a one-time fluke. This is this is some you know Grant Williams was very effective in Jokic the last time they they went uh, up against one another. Um, he's stronger than he looks. He positions really well. Uh, Jokic does get flustered with Rob Williams coming over and double teaming and all of the aggressive, aggressive um, kind of just uh, tactics from the Celtics defense and the athleticism. And we've given him fits and, you know, it's because our defense is obscenely good and it's delightful. And Grant Williams' personality has started to come out a little bit more the last few games too. I feel like that's only like two, three week old progression for him. Like you're seeing how, uh, courageous and ballsy he is you know just to to talk to other players to you know talking to the refs um and i think that he's he's finally feeling like he belongs and that's showing in 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 that result mike tell us what you thought about the last podcast okay well you know as you guys have both become quite accustomed to i i obviously like uh in the moment but this time I had to mentally argue and, and I just cherry picked a, a one key reaction that I had, you know, Adam, you have mentioned a couple of times over the last month or so in particular, you know, once you, you know, return to the Celtics as a fan, um, how you were still skeptical of their ceiling because you didn't feel like they had quote, quote unquote, enough superstars. And this, uh, I'm, I'm labeling Adam superstar theory. You're obviously not the only one with this theory. But on this podcast, you're the one that's been espousing this theory. Um, so one reaction I had is what, Adam, makes for a superstar in your mind? Because I think there's a lot of ways to define being a star on a basketball court. Uh, and I'm curious why you think the Celtics are capped in the number of stars they have. It, this is all about what do you need to win a championship? If you go back the last 20 years and you look at the teams, you either have the best player on the planet, two top 10 players, or three stars on your team. Top what? You haven't defined star. What is a star in your mind? So, top 15 player, something like that. I mean, you like a a guy who can who can take over on offense, uh, especially in the playoffs. I, yeah, I mean, is that not enough? <laughs> I mean, I could talk about past champions if you want. Like, we can go back and and look. Is Draymond Green a star? Yeah, I would say Draymond. I would say the Golden State Warriors that won in uh, 2015, 17, and 18 had three stars, and Draymond. I'm sorry, and four what, stars, but, Draymond included, yeah. with with Kevin Durant, okay. four stars. And what about the Spurs, like Ginobili? Yeah, the, I mean, so Parker, Ginobili, Duncan. Uh, or or put uh, um, Kawhi. Kawhi in there, yeah. Okay. I um, I, I mean, so, so the Milwaukee Bucks this last year was a bit of an outlier. Lost in L.A. in twenty twenty had LeBron. Arguably so the wait, best so Chris, so Chris Middleton Anthony is Davis. not a star for you. No, I th- no. no. Do do the Phoenix Suns have three stars? I'm just uh, it's an interesting yeah. game we're playing for me. Uh, yeah, it is. I, mean, I would say because <laughs> I think it's a totally st- ridiculous theory. I think it's the most absurd theory in the world. <laughs> Phoenix has two stars. 
Okay. I don't put. And the Celtics. I mean, but, but Mike, your... if you if you look at guys like Ginobili or Middleton or Aiton, I mean, those guys. When it's all said and well, done, well, Ginobili think... is a Hall of Famer. I wouldn't put him in the same caliber as the other guys, but. Uh, um, I think that those are the kind of third level guys. We don't have a third guy as good as those guys, right? Robert Williams is not as good as so. Aiden, right. So, well, I still think Marcus Smart does not get enough credit uh he's phenomenal but but we don't need to so i think it's subjective obviously it's a so i think i think there's a a number of things one i think those spurs teams are a great example right they had they had their big three but all of them weren't in their like prime in their last in that 13 14 championship but they just fit together so well and and we're going to talk about how good this team is and part of why this team is so the celtics team is so good is because of how well they fit together um two you have stars that are like draymond that do all the little things at just an elite level i think we have you know i don't think marcus smart is as good as peak draymond but i think he's he is a proxy for what draymond brings in a lot of ways and i think marcus smart uh probably deserve what he does in terms of adding value to winning um i still don't think gets as much credit as it should uh, on a consistent basis especially since he's become had an opportunity to really become the full-time point guard um so uh, you know i i think there are there's a lot more that and you can there are tons of teams that have had quote-unquote three stars how you know which i think is a often ends up getting attached to players that are score first like bradley beal when you're like our team, I think would be worse if we had Bradley Beal instead of uh, Marcus Smart. And okay. uh, you guys might not agree with that, but I, I think it would hurt our defense, which is like the backbone of why our team is elite. Um, I, I just don't think we'd perform at the same level. And so there, it's more than just having stars. Right, you have to have pieces that really fit and that accentuate each other and bring out the best in each other. So, um, so that's so I wanted to ask this question because, like, even if you agree with this theory of stars, and I was thinking all of this before the last week when the Celtics, you know, again became this giant green steamroller out west. Um, who in the East has? a definitely better set of like star power against them. Like if you pick, I don't, you know, if you picked any top three uh, from the teams in the East and you can pick whichever one you want from, from each team, um, including the Celtics, like how would they fare? And so I have two questions there. One, who would you pick from the Celtics? And it could vary for different matchups if you wanted, like, would it definitely be Jason Jalen and Marcus would it be Jason, Jalen, and Rob? Jason, you're talking about three Marcus, and Rob. If you, I'm just, if you're talking about star power, which is how you frame this, then in theory it comes down to who are the best three players on given teams. This is your theory. No, 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 Mike. I think you're getting this what? a little bit no. off. There's, there's yeah. two ways. There's teams in the East that are built on. It's the not, threes. not in a. Hang I'm on, just saying Mike. which three someone on, you Mike. take. Not in a the, not in a tournament. I'm explaining. Hang on, Mike. I'm saying. There's, but there's, you're not understanding what I'm saying yet. Yeah, but I'm, 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 there's teams in the East that are built on a three-star model, like Milwaukee, uh, potentially Miami, um, the the Nets for sure. Now that they've got Simmons, 
And then there's other teams that are built on the two-star model with, with role players next to them, like the Sixers or the Celtics. So I think you have to separate them and then talk about them based on how their personnel is built. So you, so you can't really compare the Celtics I, well, top three I, I to agree. The I Nets. agree that they're not all created equal, but I'm not the one espousing a superstar theory for how you determine championship potential. So I'm trying to understand, like, based on that theory, it's like the team with the top players is has the best chance of winning, period. That is typically what happens in the NBA, yes. This is an outlier year. But looking, year in that looking way. at the East, do you believe that's the case? Like, who well, would you that's the whole, pick in the eighth? Based that's on the, the top whole three? point that I made last last time is that Brooklyn is clearly the team with the most star power. Uh, and there are other teams like Philadelphia. I would take their stars. Like, I, I would say they have more star power than the Celtics. But because of circumstances this year, Brooklyn is, is not the kind of threat that we expected. Philadelphia. Those players need to gel. They haven't had that much time together. They gave up pieces that would support those stars that I think that they will be able to replenish next year, but they don't have that yet. It's, so there's opportunity there for the Celtics. For an outlier team like the Celtics, or maybe it's the Miami Heat, who don't have the same level of star power to win a championship, which is not typically the way you win. And and, and there's similar things that going did, on I in don't the know. West, there's, there, too. There's a, I think... So I think KD and Giannis are clearly the two best players in the East if if everyone's healthy. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, I think Embiid. Jason Tatum is just as good as Embiid, especially the way he's been playing recently. Um, I don't like. <laughs> I just uh, what you're saying, Adam. Just I I get. I'm not. I'm clearly not articulating it well. But it just does not make sense to me at all about what matters. Like, I don't look at Philly and think of them as Embiid, Harden. But I guess Harden is a classic example. Like, he was a star. This year, he hasn't really been a star, quote-unquote. Um, do do they really have more star power than the Celtics right now? I don't think so. It, Mike, if you go back the last 20 years... Or more, and you look at who won the championship. You've got the San Antonio Spurs dynasty team. You've got the Miami Heat with with LeBron and uh, D Wade and Bosh. You've got Kobe and Powell's Lakers. You've got the Golden State Warriors with KD on it. You've got LeBron's Cleveland teams, and then you have a few sprinkled in the Toronto Raptors two three years ago, the Milwaukee Bucks last year. Um, the Dallas Mavericks in 2011. Uh, yeah, but the the, I mean, the real and then question... the Detroit Pistons in 04, and even the Celtics fit into that category. So it's like 80 percent, maybe 70 percent of championships are won by teams with the best player, or two top top like top 10 players, or more, or teams with like three plus stars. I I, I think you're defining it wrong. I, the 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 champions generally are teams with a top five player period. And the question is whether Tatum is a top five player. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think to me, the the key variable is less having a, a concentration of, of stars just to have a concentration of stars, which is how I'm hearing it more from you. And more it's about having like a top five player. Like you named 
those Lakers teams, they had peak Shaq, right? Or they had peak Kobe uh, the, for the second iteration. You, you talk about the Cleveland teams, they obviously had LeBron. You talk about the Golden State teams, they had KD, or before that, they, or well, they had KD and Steph. Um, yep. You talk about, you know, LeBron, you go on down the, yep. we had KG, we had, you know, go LeBron. Giannis last so, year, even. Or well, even going back year. further, like the the Chicago Bulls with Jordan, yeah, Ma- Magic, Jordan, Rockets Isaiah, right? With Elijah yeah. Wan, exactly. So, like, so to me, the real question is: Is Jason Tatum like has he entered the top five in the league conversation? I think he's unequivocally entered the top ten in the league conversation at this point. Like, I don't even think you can debate it right now, um, based on how he's been playing this... over the last couple of months. <laughs> I think maybe uh, maybe so, in a future episode we need to come up with like who are the our top ten players. We we might we might, but like so it's so um, I just I just thought it was a little bit of a it, it, I don't really understand the like just have stars because there's been so many teams that have gone star heavy that have been total clunkers, including right like this version of the Lakers. Um, and I think it, it really comes down to a, a different type of alchemy and a different in having like a, a, a player whose peak is like apex within the league. And this Celtics team has that mix. Um, and, you know, we're going to we're going to talk about just like we said, how good that they've been, how good they are, how we see them. Um, but the, the head of that snake has been Jason Tatum. And I think, uh, Josh, you had some things you wanted to say about Tatum. Yeah, is it time for our new segment, our Jason Tatum Gush Fest segment? Yes, it is. Why are we doing this, Josh? To explain well, why. I mean, we've straight up called the dude soft on this podcast in the past, and now he's no longer playing that way. In fact, I think we, you know, need to honor him a little bit more on this pod. I think each episode we should, you know, set aside some time to really give JT his flowers and uh, you know, talk about what he's doing really well like for right now, for me, his decision making when he gets double teamed is on autopilot right now. He's absolutely in a good way. Right in a good way. Yeah, <laughs> in, in a good way. He's his decision making is on point. He's uh, taking time and space by using one or two dribbles to back out of it or to drive around it in order to make the pass to um, to the release valve, who can then swing it to the other side of the court. Oftentimes, that's Horford or Marcus Smart coming at him to help release that pressure and he's not playing with it he's not being selfish in any way he's immediately seeing over the double team or around it kicking the ball out and getting it moving because somebody's open if he's doubled and it's like he's completely fine being that guy and giving it up sometimes he he just seems like he's outright a cat playing with the mouse he caught right he's just like pulling the two double team towards him so that whether it's Pritchard popping to the middle or Horford popping to the middle or Smart, whoever it is, he just can float it over the double team. They can kick it to the open wing. And it's just like devastation after devastation. It's been an absolute joy to watch. He's so good at passing out of the double right now that it's like you can see his enjoyment physically as he's doing it. You know, he's he's completely happy with the simple play showing how good his basketball IQ is not needing to do anything more than that or anything fancy. Uh, the thing that I'm seeing with Tatum is uh, how his stats have improved in the month of March. 
This guy is on a hot streak right now, and we he wasn't prior to this. So I just want to give you his his season averages, uh, including the month of March. So 26.9 points, eight boards, four assists, uh, 35% from three, getting to the line six times, 45% uh, field goal. Month of March, uh, and this game tonight is going to just continue this trend. 52, 53% from the floor, 46% from three, mm. getting to the line seven times, um, seven boards, five assists, 34 points per game. Uh, Jason Tatum tends to get hot at the end of the season. We're seeing that now. And Mike, when you talk about him in the month of March, I would completely agree. He is one of those guys. He is a top 10 player in the league. He's a team that can carry, he's a guy that can carry a team. Um, and he's, he's just been playing phenomenally well. Adam, I feel like you said three or four weeks ago on the Celtics Pride podcast that this team is close to being a championship contender and like all it would take is Jason Tatum going on a hot streak for you to believe that. And then all of a sudden he did. I feel like you manifested this a little bit, brother. Hard to argue with that. Uh, they do need to stay healthy. I will say that. <laughs> Mike, you got anything to gush about? The uh, A couple a couple of thought, quick thoughts on, on Tatum. Well, one quick thought. One is... I love one of my favorite Jason Tatum moments of the season was the dunk he had against Denver. He got kind of free down the lane. Uh, there was like a partial tomahawk d- jam, I guess. And then he just like let out a primal scream, like pounding his chest, like KG after. Um, I love seeing that from Tatum. Like he, he's uh, Ime, I think Adam, you and I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Ime referred to like unlocking some of the alpha in Tatum uh, a couple weeks back. And we're seeing that we're seeing Tatum and and Josh, I think you mentioned it on last week's podcast, right? Like the game against the Nets. That was the first time, you know, Tatum didn't, wasn't acting like it was, he was going up against his big brother, right. That he had to like pay fealty to, right. He just felt like he was on the court and he was going to outman him. And we're, we're seeing Tatum really emerge into like, Oh, I'm an apex guy in this league. Um, and that's just been awesome to see. Uh, so the one question I had for you guys in light, in light of this Tatum love fest we got going on deservedly. So, uh, I, I, I would say, I hate to remind you, but I kind of, uh, delight in reminding you both a a podcast not so long ago where you were both ready to trade Jason Tatum for Evan Mobley. Are you going to stand by that, that, uh, willingness? Yeah, Some Josh, six, are you? Six weeks later, oh <laughs> Josh and Adam Otenko, who are both willing to do that. <laughs> Mike's collecting all the skeletons in all of our closets. I am. I'm I just want to apologize to Jason Tatum. I mean, sorry, buddy. You're, you're playing so much better now. No way. Um, I stand by Evan Mobley being one person of many on a list of players I would actually consider trading Jason Tatum for. And I would still consider trading Jason Tatum for Evan Mobley. Would I do it? That depends on the day, right? Not today, my friend. Not today. <laughs> All right. Um, good stuff. So that that was all I had on Tatum. Uh, he's been a supernova. And he's leading this team. And and like watching the last couple games, I've been I've been holding this question: Is Jason Tatum a good passer now? I feel like he is. Well, he's a very he's good making passer. the right reads. He's a, he's, he's a good he's, passer. He's a he's a an above average, bordering on. I mean, he's a very good passer, and he's not that far from getting to be a, a great passer. 
Like some of the passes he makes is makes are absurd. He's he's using the dribble, uh, doing like left-handed bounce passes through narrow, tight windows, like without kind of changing his motion out of the dribble. Um, pocket passes, tougher passes than that. Uh, he he's reading like you know the weak side wing manipulating the defense he's seeing the court at an elite elite level of late it's it's been awesome do you guys think that we don't need as much passing improvement from jalen brown because jason tatum has become such a good passer no i uh, well i would i would say i would frame the question a little differently josh i i think we should not seek as much passing improvement from Jalen Brown because I think I think his ceiling is clearly lower on that front. Um, he needs to improve, but we have more passing from guys like Smart and White and Horford in addition to the growth Tatum is making. And I'll give our um, podcast feed mate uh, Adam Taylor some props here. He's been he's been talking about. Uh, and writing about kind of the need for Jalen Brown to to really thrive as a play finisher more than a a, a you know playmaker play creator uh, on the offensive end. And I think I you know I agree with that diagnosis. I think continuing to build the offense and putting Jalen in roles where he's the one kind of putting the finishing you know the cherry on top of a play. Yeah, he, he's coming off a screen, hitting a jump shot, or driving into the lane to finish. Um, more more so than looking to him to be a primary distributor and, and creator uh, in, within the offense is going to put him in a position to succeed, um, reduce the kind of sloppy turnovers that he still he still makes when he's the primary uh, creator, and and I think just better plays to his strengths and and is totally reasonable thing to do with the personnel we have on the team. Yeah, that's actually my point right there. Against Denver, he had 30 points along with Tatum's 30. Jalen Brown had zero assists, and I'm completely fine with that because I feel like it puts him into a role that's really comfortable for him, especially as we get to the end of the season here. We don't need anybody continuing to expand their skill sets if they're not comfortable with that right now. Like, Let's put that off for Jalen Brown facilitation as a skill set for next year. as something he can just be as good as he currently is with. He doesn't need to improve at all, um, but that his directives are to finish plays as much as possible. And to me, that's the, that's where we want him. Yeah, there's the a thought I actually had uh, in one of these past two games. I think it was against Denver, but so I feel like you know we always heard over the last couple of seasons. Every once in a while, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown would butt heads, right? Like nothing major. It's like you know brothers in a, a locker room type of deal. Um, but it it felt like they would step on each other's toes on the offensive end a bit because they both wanted to kind of try to be something that's really not in their strength. Jalen wanted more of a primary playmaking role. Marcus wanted more of a a primary scoring role. Both of them have kind of toned that down and, and really locked into their core strengths and letting the other parts of the game only come, you know, come when it makes sense. And that has been, I think a big part of how this team has continued to just meld together into into its current kind of form and its current form has been an absolute juggernaut so mike i want to ask you how good do you think the celtics are right now i mean we talked i talked earlier about like i think they could win a championship this year 
so in short <laughs> extremely good um i did i did a little bit of kind of uh deep historical diving into trying i was okay this was a selected sample here but i tried to get a sense of you know is how special is is what we've been seeing actually special from this team the last couple of months right like basically since the calendar turned um and if so like how does it compare to years past so i went on, on nba.com they have the kind of advanced team stats dating all the way back to the 96 97 season and with the exception of the two bubble seasons uh so the last or like the two weird pandemic seasons which are just their own statistical anomalies for all sorts of reasons. Um, I looked back at the 23 seasons and compared just the this kind of two and a half month period from January 1st through uh, late March, March 21st of each year to see a couple of things. One, uh, uh, the, so the Celtics have a net rating this year in that period of 12.3. So I was curious first, how does that compare uh, of all of the teams? So this is, again, this is 23 seasons, all of the teams across these 23 seasons. Over those 23 seasons, only one team in that stretch had a better net rating than the, the Celtics. It was the 96-97 Bulls. They were a pretty good team. And their net right. rating was 12.4 over that period. Okay. The there oh, Beyond that... There were only, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams, uh, I believe, um, not counting uh, Phoenix of this year, that had a net rating over 10 during that period. Of those nine teams, all but three, uh, no, all but four were in the finals. So I guess a little more than half were in the finals. Um, two of those that weren't in the finals, that was San Antonio's first team with Kawhi when he got injured in that first round series against Golden State, or it was the second round series against Golden State in 2016. One of those teams was Chicago, the great Chicago team with Derrick Rose when he got injured in this, the Miami. So it's not... It's not a perfect proxy. It's only a, it's a, a somewhat arbitrary portion of the year. All the same, what the Celtics have been doing is something that teams don't do, <laughs> and like they're they're in a conversation of dominance over this stretch of a season. That in the last 23 years, only teams like the that amazing San Antonio team, the great Golden State Warriors teams, a 2013 Miami team, 2007 Dallas team. 2001 Spurs team, 2000 Lakers, and the 97 Bulls fall into. So that's one one kind of historical data point of how good this nice. team. I, I, I looked up one other one that I think is also just absolutely bonkers. So NBA also has five-man lineup data dating back to 07-08, the year happily, right, that the Celtics uh, won our last title. Um. Looking at five-man data, so our current starters in 430 minutes going into tonight's game against the Thunder um, had a plus 23.8 net rating. That is the oh. best net rating 
of any team of any five man unit that's played at least 400 minutes since 2007, 2008. Like it is. And the next closest team or next closest lineup was the 2016 um, Golden State Warriors with KD, Clay, Draymond, Steph, and Zaza Pachulia. And that that lineup played 532 minutes, so about 100 minutes more than our preferred starters have so far this year, and had a plus 23.2 net rating. So I just wanted to contextualize how obscenely good this run has been for the Celtics. It has been outrageous. So to answer your question of how good I think they are, I think they are really, really good. And then, if, you know, if you think back to the beginning of the season, we were actually, we had tons of big double digit leads in a lot of those games and we just blew them at the end. Yeah. And arguably we blew a lot of them at the end because we were playing Schroeder in those fourth quarters when we just shouldn't have been, but we don't need to do revisionist history there. It doesn't matter. Like, I think this team is this team is is currently playing at a historically elite level, and I think that is much closer to who they actually are than who they were in the past. And I right now I I feel comfortable saying I think they should be the favorites coming out of the East. Yeah, this this team is obscenely good. My guy was doing some stats, some statistical dives myself, um, but more specifically on individual players, because I was watching these last three games wondering to myself, do we have three of the best charge takers in the entire game? Obviously, Marcus Smart and Derek White are really good, but I'm like, man, Grant Williams, he's just really good, especially the way he played Jokic. He drew, I think, two charges on him, one on another player, um, and that's obviously not in the box score. Um, so I looked up. NBA hustle stats, there's five statistics, actually, that we are elite at. Charges taken, loose balls recovered, deflections, steals, and blocks. All right? And I do think that we have uh, three of the top players in charges taken. Derek White is actually second in the NBA with 23 total per game. Blake Williams and Kyle Lowry lead the NBA with 25 total. Marcus Smart's got 13, but it, it seems like he would have more than that. Grant Williams has only taken six charges all year, but I feel like... By this time next year, he's going to be among the top five or top ten in the NBA in that. Like he, he just seems super willing to do that. Um, and that to the bet. point where you take, you'll take that bet. Wait, what, <laughs> yeah. what was the bet? What was the bet? Say it again. <laughs> I, I think Grant Williams, Williams will be, will be a top, top ten, 10 or top five <laughs> in charges taken this season or next, next season. At the end of next. At the year. end of next year. Yeah. Hmm. Mark that down. So. Um, but then when you look at these other stats, too, I mean, Marcus Smart is seventh in the NBA in deflections with 2.9 per game. Smart and Rob Williams are number one and number two in the entire league in loose balls recovered. They're tied, or wow. they're actually tied for first with 1.2 per game. Loose balls recovered. Rob, obviously, he's a shot-blocking monster. He's fourth in the NBA. Smart is tied for fourth in steals. So just from like an individual defender perspective, I think we have like four of the better defenders in the league. Like everyone's finally national media is catching on to the Marcus Smart like four year in a row uh, candidacy for defensive player of the year. And not since Gary Payton have we had a guard win defensive player of the year. So that would be, I think, a real coup. But I think people are now starting to talk about Rob Williams as a potential candidate for DPOY. Um, and if you look at some of the stats, Derek White should be in that conversation as yeah. well. No, we're we're just. We're good. 
<laughs> Wrap it up. Put a bow on it. Mike, what it, this has been half, not even half a season yet. Like, how, what about the the sample size of this? I mean, you said, I think that they're they're more like this than they were like the the team in the beginning of the year. Yeah. Where, but where do you feel like they actually average out? I mean, their net rating is six and a half or so. Yeah, uh, which year. is almost second in the which is almost second in the NBA. I mean, I think yeah. I think we're appro- we should appropriately be seen as the second best team in the NBA, right? Like, wow. I think Phoenix deserves to be seen over us, yes. uh, above us. I think we had a, a real malaise for the start of the season. It was carried over from you know a pretty frustrating year for the team. I think a really challenging year for the team in 2021. Uh, with the pandemic, you know, with coming off of a long uh, a, a playoff push into the bubble, um, a lot of COVID, you know, absences, obviously just something evolved in our locker room with Brad Stevens and the players or a, a disconnect formed at some level. Um, and so there were cobwebs that had to be cleaned up and there were, you know, there were bad habits that needed to be broken. Um, but even with all of that, you know, I I felt during the time I was like, you know, we had basically four coin flip losses early in the season that would have changed every the way we talked about everything uh, for much of the year. We had like those two double three, I think, double overtime losses right in our first 10 games. We were horrific in fourth quarters in a in a really unreliable way. And the, the reality is historically like teams don't blow out teams, other teams the way we've been doing that aberrationally like it's certainly not at the frequency we're doing it and so that's why i think this is the real version of us because like you can't fluke your way into like multiple 40 point wins <laughs> like like nba players even on bad teams are really good right like so um so i think and i i think Ime was clearly the right personality for this team to help with the yeah. breaking the habits and and to bring out the bravado to bring out the like the the alpha in Tatum to to I I think I messaged on the Slack at one point earlier in the the season where it was like Ime was was the guy was a perfect guy because he was just not going to be impressed by anything that Tatum or Brown had done and he could convey that to them in a way that would make them realize that they hadn't done anything worth being impressed about yet right and and use that to help them push whereas brad was always like uh kind of aji shucks like i was never good enough to make the nba you know Ime coached on championship teams uh with hall of fame players right. and a hall of fame coach and also played in the nba right he was he could just bring a totally different kind of edge to him and his personality uh Josh, I don't know if you heard it a couple of weeks ago, but I gave you a call out um, in in reference to your 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 long tease list of uh, coaches that would win in a fight. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and Ime's got to rank high on there, right? So yeah, that that counts here. I'll you know I'll I'll give you credit where it's due, Josh. Um, so I just think I think you take all these factors together and just I mean the performance on the floor like. They are, they're not like, this isn't, this is gorgeous basketball that they're playing. 
even when they muck it up, it's still gorgeous basketball. The defense is is on a string. They're switching. Or they've mastered the switching. Rob is a monster. Marcus is a monster. Horford's always in the right position and doing the right thing. Derek White is like a miniature Al Horford. Um, and then on offense, Tatum has just unlocked a new level. Of, and, and, you know, I really do think it's the the MVP is going to be probably Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in one tier, and then Luka and Tatum in another. And I don't think anyone else should be in the conversation. Yeah, I, like, Mike, I think, I, I would I think agree. Steph's out of it. I think DeRozan's out of it at this point, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. I would agree with you that we are the second best team in the league. I, w- I was kind of like taken aback when you said it. And then the more I think about it, I'm like, no, that's absolutely true. And and I also agree with you with Ime Udoka being the right person for the job. And if you don't believe that, if you're still one of those people who's like, I don't know, I got to wait to see how he does in the playoffs. The proof is in the pudding. This team is playing like a well-coached team. I mean, the offense that we run is really good. We're looking for lobs to rob in the beginning of the games and uh, getting the ball to to certain guys in certain situations for them to do what they're really good at. And we've limited all the distractions. Even the point of Jalen Brown being more of a finisher now, I think is just putting everybody into more perfect roles. And um, it's 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 not just the historical comparisons that you brought up, Mike. It's not just the defensive individual players that we have on the team. It's not just the coaching and, and, and the way that our team will break the offense if Tatum gets doubled. I mean, what are the other teams? What do defenses do? What's Spolstra going to do in the playoffs against us? What's Nick Nurse going to do? What we've seen these good coaches do in, over the last few years and this year is double Tatum, get the ball out of his hands, and see if they can make a play from there. Well, I feel like we've gotten really good at that. Or it's put, throw out a zone. They don't know what to do against a zone. Well, now that we've had this midseason trade and Derek White is here, our roles are really well defined. We know I think we're really good at that too at playing against. And we have Horford, and we have Horford again, and like Tatum is much better against the zone, and Smart is you know we just we have way more zone busters than we did historically. And now with Pritchard shooting, I think he literally just has fireballs coming from his hands at this point. Um, you know, we and plus we've got every <laughs> we literally got every uh, white three point shooter off the like waiver wire that we could find. We, we got Hauser, we got Soskis, we got Pritcher, we got um, and Neesmith is coming back. He's not white, but he shoots threes. Uh, we're gonna be a devastate a devastating match for anybody. Yeah, if you have a team that's built around two stars like we have. You really need everybody else to be perfect in their role. And I feel like if you look at Grant Williams and how he's been playing, if you look at Robert Williams and even Pritchard, like we have guys who I feel like Rob Williams was a player designed in like an old 1990s video game. Like back in the 90s, Adam, I don't know if you correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I feel like back then you couldn't give a guy 100% in every category. If you gave him 99 dunks and 99 shot blocking and athleticism and quickness, like, an 85 in passing, which is what I feel like Rob Williams would get. Like you'd have to not have him be a good shooter and like he, he wouldn't be able to dribble the ball well, you know? And I feel like that's how Rob Williams was built in that kind of a video game lab. Um, and so what makes, what, what happens with that, the result in, in reality is that he's so specified. He knows exactly what to do and everybody else, all of his teammates on the floor know exactly what he's going to do too. And so that knowledge just simplifies the game to the point where 
Like, you know, Pritchard's role is when he comes in is just to shoot the open threes. And he's really good at that. He's 40% yet again for the second year in a row, finally. And yeah, it's, it's having perfection in the roles of these guys means limited distractions and everybody's on the same page, even tighter. And that I think is the hardest thing in today's NBA. In this day and age, you got so many players moving around. Continuity and having people perfect their roles and be a star in their role is really rare. That's what makes this team a championship contender, in my opinion, even if it's not built around three stars. Mike, uh, the last question here around this topic about how good the Celtics are is how how much they're going to climb the the seedings here. Uh, and it's looking like they're going to win this game. They're up 10 points with two minutes left. Uh, if they do, they move in two and a half games back along with Philadelphia and Milwaukee, according to what I'm looking at on ESPN here. Technically, they would not be tied with them because uh, they've played more games, more, one more win, one more loss, but two and a half games back. Um, and so they're close to the number two seed. Would you avoid the number two seed? I'm assuming because you're trying to avoid Brooklyn in the playoffs. So for me, the answer is easy. Um and and it's no, <laughs> I do not believe you uh, kind of fool around with stuff like that. You start giving you, you start coaching or advising as a team to think about losing, I think. And, and I've heard some other other podcasts kind of speculate that Ime would be all about kind of gaming it. I think that's absurd. Yeah, where does that I think come from? Ime, I don't know. I think Ime would be. A thousand percent, like we're not scared of anybody. We are going to win every game that we can, and we're going to be the best version of ourselves. And I think, I hope that's his mindset. That's the mindset I believe we should have as a team, and that's one hundred percent what I would want us to have. I, I would just try to win whatever you know the games before us. Go for the two seed. Go for the one seed if we can get it. Like, I, I'm not, you know, if if we end up facing Brooklyn and somehow. Kyrie is playing in a lot of the games and they got Kyrie and KD, then so be it. You know what? We just beat that team in Brooklyn uh, a couple weeks ago. Or no, I guess it was in, in Boston. But um, yeah, I I don't think you put thoughts of like avoidance. I, I think Philly is a perfect example, right? They, they've collected all of these guys that have barely ever gotten to the conference finals or that, you know, Doc, you know, he... All the all the all the kudos for 2008, but he has a pretty spotty playoff track record. You know, they they Philly can play those games of avoiding of avoiding teams, as I speculated, they'd be the most likely team to do with Maury at the helm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't want that in Boston. I, I say go for the highest seed we can get. What do you guys think? Uh, this Brooklyn team scares me when they're all if they're all healthy and and all able to play. Uh, I see nothing wrong with trying to avoid them. Uh, I'm actually fine with both. I mean, the way Brooklyn's playing now, it's hard to to think that they're going to gel enough once the playoffs come around. But uh, I, you know, I'm, I could go both ways. Honestly, I could be convinced either way. Josh, so we got ten games left. I think it's a little too early to be even having the conversation. Uh, maybe it's something if you're close and there's one game or two games of manipulation and and then that could help you avoid them. Then I would entertain, entertain the conversation. But as of right now, the Raptors are seventh, the Nets are eighth, the Hornets are ninth. Anything can happen with those three spots. And then obviously you have the play in situation. It's got to handle, sort that self out. 
So and the I, Hornets I don't, have sneakily won five straight. I didn't even realize that until yeah. So just it's now. it's not even a guarantee yeah, think, that we'd be avoiding the Nets if we did manipulate things at this point. But if you're one or two games away from the end of the season and you're trying to rest guys anyway, then that's where this conversation right. comes into play. My prediction, Adam, was that you were going to be in favor of trying to finagle away from the Nets. For the record. <laughs> I'm I'm just happy that we're in a position to talk about it. Like the idea that we could get the two seed, I never would have expected that. I still think we can get the number one seed. I, I do. We right. have one more game against Miami, so we're yeah. you know it's it's possible. I mean, it's far from a, a guarantee. Um, we have a tough remaining schedule, but um, we are also fifteen and one in our last sixteen games. The Taylor Snow tweeted this earlier in our last 16 games against teams currently in the playoff picture. Uh, our wow. one loss was that one possession loss to Dallas. <laughs> so, so we're basically the best team of all time is what it comes down yeah. to here. On podcast. <laughs> we, I, I, I think the key theme uh, is that we have been playing historically great and Celtics fans revel in it. It's, it's been just as enjoyable as it's as it seemed <laughs> all right next games after oklahoma city we play uh utah at home minnesota who's been playing really well uh, yeah. and beating good teams also at home before going to toronto so uh some tough games coming up in the next week uh what are you guys looking for in these games well utah is always a beast um I, I like the idea of going up to Toronto and really having a tough East Coast matchup with them because I think that that's going to get us playoff ready for the Eastern Conference, which is just is going to be a juggernaut this year. Um, and so having that game sprinkled in, I think, is is important for our prep. Um, I, I'm really proud of this team and how they went through the West Coast road trip. You know, just just to to be able to beast the Western Conference teams at this stage of the year. You know, it's that that shows a lot of, of grit and togetherness. And um, so yet again, for what the fifth, sixth pod in a row, I'm predicting a three and a week here until the next pod next Tuesday. Yeah. I mean, I just want to see them keep taking care of business. Um, I, I think it, it's just important to keep, to demonstrate that they can stay focused, that they cannot get too far ahead of themselves or too, you know, too kind of arrogant or, or feeling themselves too much, um, then keep taking each opponent seriously. And they've been doing an amazing job at that for basically three months now, actually three months. Uh, they have the best net rating in the NBA since December 11th, if you go back that far. So, um, it's just keeping keeping it going, you know. At this point, it's all about building that that final push, building for the for the postseason and being in peak form. Then, I've got a couple things that I'd like to see. Uh, one thing that we have not talked about is the emergence of Peyton Pritchard. Other than the fireballs Mike spoke of, he's he's going back to another, you know Josh's '90s um, video game comment. He's he's on fire in NBA Jam, uh, but his emergence uh, and I think a concerted effort by Ime Odoka to try and develop the bench, Daniel Tice getting more minutes. I think that's a really key piece here, partly so that we can um, not overtax uh, that that um, best in 10 years starting five unit that we have. We really want to, I think it's important to go into the playoffs healthy 
Um, and so resting a couple of guys tonight is a great example of that. I'd love to continue to see that and continue to see the bench step up. Tice, Pritchard, um, Derek White has been shooting really poorly from three. And uh, I can't, was it the Sacramento game where uh, it just felt like he needed one to fall and finally got one? And it, like there's some, something is up with his shooting. <laughs> he's, he's hesitant. Uh, he's not in rhythm Can when I- he shoots. Can I just say one thing on on his shooting yeah. or on Derek White, I guess more specifically? And Josh touched on this before. While it is, I mean, his shooting hasn't been great. That that's true. It's getting a lot of attention. Uh, going into tonight's game, I think we've also been at our best defensively when he's been on the court since we acquired mm-hmm. him. Um, and you know, it <laughs> we've been like a plus twelve net rating with him on the court. I mean, it doesn't. We've been like plus twelve with anybody on the court. So it's <laughs> it's a little hard to. The the point is, even though at the moment his shot is struggling in that our offense is not um, quite as explosive with him on the court because of that. Our defense is still better. And like, we're still an insanely good team with him on the court. So I don't like, it's fair to hope that he starts shooting just even league average or 30% would be a step up, which, um, but I, I don't want it to like get misconstrued that he's somehow hurting our team or taking like, we're still very Agreed. good. Thank he's you. He's still very good. He's doing a lot of good yep. things for us. Yep. I just want to see him have more confidence in his shot. Yeah. Um, one more point on Peyton Pritchard, too. Watching the NCAA tournament has actually made me ap- appreciate Peyton Pritchard because I'm watching all these teams lose because their point guards get to the free throw line and they can't finish games by knocking down important free throws. Um, or they don't you know, control the tempo of the game where they can't shoot or they back down from people defensively. And it's like Peyton Pritchard, if you, if I asked you guys, our third string point guard was going to be on the smaller side, but he can shoot from anywhere. He can handle the ball. He won't back down from anybody. He's strong enough to, to guard people. Um, he can distribute like all the things that Peyton Pritchard is good at. Like you take it 10 times out of 10. And we finally have a guy who's emerging into that type of a role. and. I mean, he's he's our third string dude. Like, we don't have to rely on him for too much. Uh, but I think it's also really interesting the way that Udoka is using him by bringing him in at the end of the third and beginning of the fourth quarter when the legs are, are a little uh, tired and guys are kind of saving themselves for the last eight minutes of the fourth when, when it's winning time. That's when Peyton Pritchard comes in and knocks down a couple threes in a row and really piles on. And it's just so backbreaking for the other team to have some to have a spark plug uh, like Pritchard doing those things at that particular time of the game. Yeah, and his he's just totally fearless, which is awesome. Like, just the moment is never going to be too big for him, which is huge to have. All right, y'all. You know the spiel. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko for Josh. I am not on Twitter. Thank you for listening. You are a part of Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog.